Okay. Hmm. And here we go. I don't want a big old, just want to ride on my motorcycle. Hello and everybody, welcome. This is the Nokomoto Podcast, episode number 115, I think, pretty sure. Episode 115, as far as regular episodes go, anyway. Coming to you from... Our new Nokomoto headquarters here at Swiggy's apartment, located deep in Nokomoto. In, in Noko, oh my gosh, wow. I can't do it today. Located deep in enemy territory, and I'm your host, MotoGP. And with me is your other host, Swiggy. Yep. Okay, so we've got a show here. Last time I didn't do a lot of the regular things. And I'll probably forget and get too drunk and not do a lot of the regular things on this one as well. But I'll try to give an outline of what we're going to do in this episode. We're going to start with some corrections and omissions. And then we're going to do best worst bike. And then we're going to talk about real thinking outside the box road trip ideas. And then Swiggy's going to read the emails drunk if he gets drunk or whatever. There aren't, I mean, there's a lot of emails, but there's not a lot of like content generated from them. So, in my defense, oh, yes, we did record a four hour episode. It's true. And as much as Peter likes to think that he's staying on mission most of the time, he has a habit of adding extra tasks. So, I had been pre-gaming for like a solid two hours before we started that episode. Well, yeah. <laughs> As you do, right? So we may have received some complaints. <laughs> well, okay. So let's go into it here with some corrections and omissions. So number one, this wasn't actually brought up by a listener. This is me correcting me. In talking about the BMW R18 project, or project, what do you call it? Um, oh my gosh. Concept? Concept. Jeez. The R18 concept. You know, the last three or four months, you know, I was talking about like I unplugged from internet media. I mean, I really did. So I wasn't looking at any motorcycle news or anything. It seems that... BMW has revamped the production R18 model to something much better than what they unveiled <laughs> uh, the last time I checked in with what was going on there. It's still a compromised bike. And whilst it is better and closer to the concept than what they initially released as a production, a production bike, I still think everything I said about the Moto Guzzi, California, and El Dorado hold strong. Because it's definitely still a better value. And I think it hits a lot of the, st the same styling points. And I mean, who knows what this R18 is going to cost. From going through the BMW website, I have not found what it's exactly going to cost. It's listed as a 2021 model. So it is still theoretical. I don't think you can actually buy one yet. So there you go. 
Second correction. So the first, yeah, that first one was really an omission. The second one, this is a true correction. We got an email from Uncle Phil. The email is titled, Call It Twist Select Again. <laughs> and the email just simply read, It's called Grip Shift. So we've got to take a moment here and explain. So I think I think a lot of minds were blown on this last episode where we talked about the scooters in depth and we explained how these scooters are actually four-speed manual transmission. And we kept saying twist select. And something we didn't talk about the scooter world is how there's kind of a lot of angry Star Trek style nerdism within the scooter <laughs> world. So every time we said twist select, a certain number of scooter people just snapped a pencil. <laughs> <laughs> now I can't help it because I call that system twist select because our father calls it twist select. And he was a legit mod, mod scooterist in Birmingham, England in the late 60s. It doesn't really get any more legit than that. You know, and he calls it Twist Select, so that's what I've always called it. And this is really going to make Phil super duper pissed. I always thought the mountain bike gear change system was called Grip Shift. I think it's just an, uh, it's just uh, the American term. Perhaps. That's fine. If that is what the vast majority of people call it, I can learn to call it that. And that's okay. Uh, I think they've revealed a weak spot. I'm going to keep calling it Twist Select. <laughs> well, you know, I think, I, I feel like Twist Select is probably a better term because... First of all, you know, you refer to the gear level on your motorcycle as the gear selector. If you go into the manual, it's always called the gear selector. Yeah. And then so, you know, it so it makes sense that way, but I feel like I don't know, the grip part, I I don't know, I feel like a twist twist is better than grip because you're pulling in the clutch. I don't know that you're really gripping. I I don't uh yeah I mean you twist the throttle right I mean it, it can, I can go either way on it it doesn't really it makes sense both ways but now that I know that it upsets people uh, I'm more incentivized right well this is like wearing the t-shirt with a picture of a Dalek on it that says R2-D2 yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm just gonna, yeah. Okay, so, <laughs> um, 
Yeah, that's what I've got for corrections and omissions. A solid effort for corrections and omissions this week. The my fantasy. I always want correct. I want like forty five minutes of corrections and omissions because I know in any given episode there's easily enough shit that we say backwards, say wrong, or just factually understanding correctly. Right, that we could get so many of these emails, but anyway. So we're like five minutes in, four, six minutes in, whatever. I think it's time to jump to best worst bike in the world this week. What do you say? Let's do it. Okay. So here's how this is going to work. Every week, we each pick a different motorcycle to be the best and the worst bike in the world this week. We don't know what each other have chosen it's a surprise. It's more fun when there's an element of discovery. Now, we have chosen many bikes that many people love and many bikes that many people hate. And we have put those bikes in the wrong categories <laughs> for people's sensibilities. And you need to know that you might get your feelings hurt. Okay? So just remember, like I famously once farted in... <laughs> <laughs> in Morse code, there is no crying in motorcycles. So, Swiggy, you have, ooh, hold on. You had last week, I had what? I had, oh, the, 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 the Gootsy. So, so, so you have best bike in the world this week. I do. Excellent. Are you ready to reveal it? Yes. Okay. And the best bike in the world this week is? The 1990 FZR 400. This is one of those all-time, just amazing, gray import masterpieces. Yeah. So this is very much in the same vein as the uh, the VFR 400. Yeah, I- I, I still like the VFR 400 better, but changed my mind. Well, the VFR 400 is awesome in so many ways. But in terms of a daily rider, it's kind of a little bit ridiculous. I like my daily riders to have titanium piston rods, thank you. Or <laughs> connecting rods, thank you. Yeah, this is not... 400 cc v twin ridiculous with race spec everything this is this is an actual you know proper road going bike and it's not absolutely absurd but in the same way it's a 400 cc or a, you know a 399 because that's what you have to have to be under the top uh motorcycle displacement class by Japanese driving license rules. Right. This is the 600 class in Japan. Yes. Or was, yeah. Now, with this, this whole bike is about 355 pounds dry, under 400 pounds wet. You get a 4.8 gallon tank. Whoa. It's 60 horsepower. It makes max power at 11,500 RPMs, max torque at 10,000. It's liquid-cooled. It's making 60 horsepower with 26 foot-pounds of torque. And that's all still carbureted. It's a performance machine, but it's 
all the performance parts from its time without going ridiculous with things like titanium piston rods. And it's got a nice little bit of history too, because you can see all in all the lines on this and the headlights and even all the graphics, you can tell that this really is like just pre, you know, first gen R6, R1. Like you can, it's, it's the same way that the GPZ is analogous to the Ninja. There's a bit of history here. That's being captured. Yeah, if they'd made it just another four years, it may have lost the uh, the square swing arm. Right. So, this is, you know, it, with 60 horsepower and 26 foot-pounds of torque, it kind of fits into that little niche of this thing has some decent power, especially a power, in terms of power-to-weight ratio, but you don't get everything for free. Like, you still have to have a little bit of skill to get it off the line and get it going well. Like, it requires a little bit of, a, of care and attention to ride it well, which makes it exciting to ride. Yeah. Well, we've, we've spent an hour last week talking about that effect in the scooters. Right. This is a nice middle ground on that. Right. This is... I, I can see a lot of people who would get this as their first bike... And just never sell it. Yeah, they'll crash it probably. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, you also get you know two front discs. It's you know it, it is essentially like a nice little club racer. It it's kind of in that sort of category. Well, the VFR won everything, but this was competitive amongst everything else. If you had the VFR 400, you were just going to win. But this was competitive with all the other high-spec 400s. Yeah, this is competitive without being an absurd escalation. Yeah. Uh, there, There's a whole segment of Suzuki 404s that like just make about 55 horsepower that were kind of much more real world. But this is like the VFR, one of those bragging rights bikes. Yeah. Now for a long time, these bikes weren't considered very cool or valuable. And there was a time when you could just pick them up used for like $2,000. That's not the case anymore. I've seen pristine ones go for like, five thousand dollars which is a little dear but it's they're now kind of getting rare enough and you're not going to find them all that easily it's but, like a vintage dildo okay i'll explain <laughs> so it if you're that special kind of person you have to have it but because of its history, you probably can't use it. You certainly don't want to have anybody watch you use it. <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, if, you, if you do take it to a track, people aren't going to understand why you're running it. They're going to be like, well, they're either going to understand it's collectible or they're going to be like, that's weird. You know, the, either way, they're not going to get it. It's It's collectible to only the right people 
Yeah. And you know, eventually it will just become such a thing of just ant- antiquity that it just will have value in and of itself of being an artifact, right? Like, you know, like you may or may not be into antique dildos, but if you have a 2,000-year-old dildo, well, that's worth something to a museum just because of its of its vintage, right? So this is somewhere on that oddity level of collectible, right? I don't and I don't think it is. I mean, I think this has a really interesting history in that you cannot buy a 400cc motorcycle today that isn't a parallel twin. Like right. this comes from a time and even this will have 15 more horsepower than a Ninja 400 will today because they decided to make a 400cc inline 4. This is coming from a time where they put the money into what might be considered a beginner, uh, into a beginner class bike. And in a lot of ways, it's sort of not a beginner's bike at the same time. It's, it comes from a time when people weren't really cost sensitive when it came to motorcycle purchases. Yeah. And it all shows just in like the styling, the amount of tech that went into it. That's essentially scaled down slightly compromised tech that went into the six hundreds and the leader bikes. Yeah. I, I want to say something about the styling on this one. It, it has the, the FCR 1000 styling essentially like all the things are there the double headlights, the the general uh, front cowling shape, the the full bodywork, even the um, the trademark Yamaha sort of um, I don't know what you call it, but like the broken up like lines across it that like go into those little squares across it, right? It's the got, fact that it just looks like it's constantly screaming, right? It it's great. Uh, I was never really a fan of the FCR 1000 bodywork because the front was just so flat and smashed off, right? Like something like it, like it, uh, every FCR 1000 to me looks like someone ran it into a wall, right? And all of the bodywork scaled down on this one. I think the dimensions work a lot better. Yeah. It's kind of like how the the Ninja 500 bodywork doesn't make any sense, but nearly identical on the Ninja 250, it's glorious. Right. But yeah. So it's, I, it's a good-looking bike in, in, in my book. Yeah. I, I'm sure there's a lot of people that will disagree, but I think definitely in our opinion, this is... For that late 80s, very early 90s sport bike look, this is amongst the best. Yes. Yeah, I think it's super rad. I'd buy one. Rad is the right word. It's totally rad. Oh, the FZR 600s had the wildest paint schemes ever. Oh, yes. So much jazz. So much jazz. (laughs) Well, and those those got like a lot of like the black and teal and purple involved as well. And like the electric purple and yellow. Oh, yes. (laughs) It's so good. It's so good. Okay, um, let's see, anything else to add on this one? 
I mean, you can go into a bunch of little different things about it. Uh, do you know if these were X up? I don't. I mean, if it was, it would probably say X up on it. Like Yama, this was this was in that period where everyone had some sort of minor variation of valve of the same valve technology and branded a name around it. I miss that. I, why, like today, why can't Yamaha for its bikes just come up with a name for the traction control software and brand that? It's fun. I mean, it's it nonsense, is. but it's fun. <laughs> I mean, we would be sitting here talking about like why they like why would you brand the software for your thing? But I mean, software branding is becoming a big thing. Well, yeah, especially I mean, and that that's followed through with cars a lot, like the whole Audi Tiptronic system. It's like it's a CVT that pretends it's a gearbox. Like, yeah, <laughs> for. For people who want nice cars but hate CVT. Like, it's an insane system. But, but your average Audi buyer has no fucking clue what CVT like, is. But he's like, oh, it's got a Tiptronic gearbox. Mm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's the same noise when I told Dad that my scooter had a good had <laughs> a sport ex- like a custom ex- <laughs> power a performance exhaust he's like ooh <laughs> <laughs> well like as i said that i just saw like it but you know how we talked about how dad got on your scooter and it was 19 you know 72 again or whatever the last time he'd been on on one and he got on the like when i said i've got a <laughs> performance exhaust like it it was 1960s, 1970-something, and he was, like, you know, in some sort of dick measuring contest with someone else about what mods had been done to their scooter. <laughs> and, he, and he just, like, like, he was, he was, it was a, tr- he, he, like, a trash-talking face, like, like, swept across him. And he just <laughs> went, like, okay, whatever, you know. I mean, it was probably only, like, 40 minutes later that he walked up to me after I crashed the scooter and went, you're an asshole, you know that. yeah for anyone that that missed that didn't make it all the way through last week's episode i don't i don't blame you but um i did basically 12 o'clock wheelie my scooter and crash it and before i'm just gonna i'm just gonna squash the rumors right now before anyone points any fingers no i wasn't so i wasn't sober (laughs) Okay, so uh, should we move on to worst bike in the world this week? Let's do it. Okay. And the worst bike in the world this week is, I really should have brought it up on the computer screen here, but it is, oh my gosh, it even hurts to say, the thoroughbred stallion. What? The thoroughbred stallion trike. So you can find this abomination at motortrike.com slash trike thoroughbred stallion. And you need to put that in 
because you're not going to find this just through the motortrike.com regular setup. They've deleted the link to it as far as I can tell because this <laughs> this is not a new th- okay. Well, there's so much. Uh, Swiss, I describe to the people what we're looking at and I'll I'll reveal more facts to you because it's so much worse than it even looks to begin with. So if Akira were disabled, <laughs> uh, fucking nailed it. <laughs> yeah, this just God explain damn. like physically what it is. Okay. So everyone picture in your mind uh you know the Akira bike and turn it into a trike but turn it into a narrow trike and don't really have like a like and then also squeeze the middle section where the front is raked out even more with a little bit less underbone and the whole thing is just like 80% enclosed bodywork And besides that, virtually featureless. So it is the definition of of what pe- what idiot okay non motorcycle people look at this, and this is the archetype bike for this comment. This is I just love it because it's different, <laughs> right? This is what the asshole graphic designer who knows jack shit about motorcycles designs in cad uh-huh this so is, yeah you if if uh, if you know anybody that's ever come across one of these before at a shitty car show or on on display as a freak show at like daytona bike week or something right this is the quintessential just some idiot some idiot in dockers and with like that that super hardcore like electric color zinc nose sunscreen stripe looking at it with fucking sunglasses with those little like connector like sunglass saver things around the back of his head right looks at this turns to his buddy and just confidently announces to the world i just love it because it's different and when I hear people say that, or I even just think about this imaginary person saying that, I just have to shut my eyes and just scream inside my own head to make the voices go away. I want to take a nail gun to people's faces. I want. I get so mad because it's this oh my this God. praise on people's lack of knowledge of motorcycles and it preys on just it 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 takes novelty past a point of gimmick right you know what this i don't know if this is a motorcycle well right it has a steering wheel i know I don't know why you just left that for me to discover all by myself. <laughs> oh, there is so much worse that we're going to get into. It's got it doesn't just have a steering wheel. It's got just straight up rack and pinion steering. 
I don't know that it's rack and pier. I'm not sure exactly it, how the stu- no. You can see the bars coming out horizontal. It, you know, I don't even care. It's not important. It. This is a reliant Robin. Oh no! I'd rather have a reliant Robin. A reliant Robin is at least rear engine. Well, actually, this might be rear engine. I don't know. Okay, just hold on. So, it's actually a lot wider than you think, right? So, this is made by the Motor Trike Company. And although you don't know it, you've actually seen hundreds of Motor Trike products in your life. Motor Trike is the biggest company that does all those Goldwing conversions, right? If you see a Harley-Davidson trike that's not the one out of the showroom floor, there's a very good chance that the Motor Trike company did it. And if you've seen a weird cruiser done up pretty well as a trike, it was probably the Motor Trike company. I mean, they do up Indians. They have a standard sort of package for every large displacement major cruiser there is for almost every big brand. So... Why does this exist? Well, it really doesn't. So in about 2006 and maybe like a couple months of 2007, they started selling these things. And for very obvious reasons, they stopped selling them very quickly. One was that they didn't sell very many. What a shocker. And two, (laughs) it was just completely impractical for them to be making this through through the economic crisis. Like, why wouldn't you just stick to your bread and butter of Goldwing conversions, right? So that's what they did. Then in 2013, in a sign that the economy was getting back to normal, the Thoroughbred Stallion came back on the market, right? It's like, you know the the economy in your area is improving when a battery in bulbs opens up in what you thought was a dying strip mall. You're like, oh, here's a business that only sells batteries. Like, we must be on the up and up. People have weird devices that they're willing to spend upwards of $100 on batteries for. Like, great. You know, if there's a batteries and bulbs near you, you're in a neighborhood where people are buying new power wheels for their kids, right? <laughs> right. So, you know, yeah. mu- much like I saw in Us Weekly that um, Brad and Jen are back together. So maybe things are getting back to normal. <laughs> the the Thoroughbred Stallion in 2013 let us know that people were making absolutely insane motorcycle purchases again. Now, this thing is okay. How much? Okay, how much do you think the base model price is for this? This cannot be this hideous and cost less than forty five thousand dollars. You're a little high. It's thirty four thousand dollars. What's the base bike? So the standard features. I mean, what bike is it based off of? Or is this a generic body kit that'll fit on a bunch of different cruisers? No, this is this is a custom build ground up. Oh, okay. Yeah, it, this isn't based on anything. <sighs> except for the engine, which is 
I'm just wait till you learn what the engine is. Okay. You, you might throw something across the room when you learn what the motor is in this. Okay. So the standard features are kind of impressive. Although uh, let's start at the bottom of the list. Cause the top one is, I don't understand. So it has fog lamps. So it gets like riding lights, low down driving, you know, corner lights or fog lamps, whatever you want to call it. Well, he acts that headlight can't spin. Yeah, they they call it um, a front seat backrest. I don't know why they're advertising a backrest. It has a carpeted trunk. Of course it does. It has a nine and a half gallon fuel tank. Okay. You'll know why that is. It says it has tilt steering, and I don't really know what that means. I think that means the front wheel will literally tilt like five degrees. Yeah. Okay. It has an onboard air compression, uh, air compressor to adjust the patented air ride suspension. So it's ripping off the Goldwing air shock system. Yeah, but that kind of feels like a necessity on this. So I'm not going to knock them for that. Okay. So here's an odd one. Interior lighting. Okay, you're not allowed to put that on a motorcycle description. <laughs> I know. Uh, it comes standard with a trailer hitch. Of course, they, they mention it has disc brakes, which is, that's, that's not a feature. That's just standard for a vehicle sold past, like, 2002. Okay. It has uh, cruise control. It has adjustable pedals because it has a left foot brake pedal and a right foot accelerator pedal. Does this have a Honda Fit motor in it? No, it's so much worse. Uh, it comes with AM, FM radio, CD player, MP3. Uh, it comes with um, satellite radio. And then... A five-speed automatic transmission with reverse. And finally, and perhaps most puzzling for the standard list of features, air conditioning and heat for both passenger and driver. This is an open-air vehicle. I bet you've got some... Well, I've actually... I bet you've actually got some pretty decent... um, a pretty decent air bubble behind that windscreen. There's no amount of air conditioning, just like <laughs> at speed. There's this makes no sense for air conditioning. Look, we've already come this far. We, you might as well. Okay. So now we have to reveal what the motor is. Okay. If you're holding any pencils, put them down. This is a motor that you are very familiar with. This has a four-cylinder Ford engine out of a Ford Ranger. Jesus Christ. Do you want to explain to people the characteristics of this engine and why it's a terrible... 
terrible choice <laughs> for this kind of vehicle. Wait, so wait, so wait, it's the four cylinder? Yeah. Uh, well, for starters, it's a drive shaft motor. For, wait, is it? Is it in? No, it can't be in there. So it must. They must place. They must have placed it longitudinally. Yeah. Okay. Um. Wait, but that's like a. That's like a two point six liter inline four. And a horrendously unbalanced inline four. Yeah. Like, a lot of people say, like, oh, well, you know, it's an inline four. It's cheap. It's relatively well balanced. It can rev high. Doesn't work once you really start to scale them up. And also, it's still just not a very well designed inline four. Yeah. So, yeah, the engine is in the front, I forgot, because you have to, like, unclip all the bodywork at the front, and then, like, some sort of weird exotic sports car, like, the whole nose of this thing opens up forwards to expose the engine. Yeah. So, yeah, it's... So, last week we were talking about the K75, where it did that one genius thing where the drive shaft lines right up with the final drive. And this thing inexplicably goes through all the trouble to take this inline four engine, put it in longitudinally, have the drive shaft go straight to the back, just for it to be split up again through a differential. Well, I mean, yeah, because it's again because it's, it's stupid. It's a car. Well, <laughs> yeah, but see, that's the thing. It's. It's definitely marketed as a motorcycle. When you're right, it it really has much more to do with the car that's missing a front wheel. Yeah. It. But you Wait, know. So did they actually? Where does this thing get advertised? It gets advertised. This thing, they they trot these things out at Americade at Daytona Bike Week, at Biketoberfest, at Sturgis. It's, so, you know, I would not call the Vanderhall a motorcycle either, but yet it infects our community, <laughs> right? I mean, and there's nothing wrong with the Vanderhall per se. It's just, you know, uh, so before the Vanderhall, this was the Vanderhall. This is what occupied that space of super cheesy, out of touch business executive makes questionable purchasing decision, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, okay, look, I think $35,000 golf clubs would have been a smarter way to use money. Yeah. Look. For as long as we've been doing this show, and for the amount of for the variety of topics and styles that we have covered, we cannot be accused of being closed-minded. It's true, but at a certain point, we just bought scooters for fuck's sake. <laughs> yeah, like at a certain point, you know, there has to be there have to be some boundaries. We must have some standards. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. Okay. So I get. Yeah. This is a car. I. Well, we. That's the problem. We agree it's a car, but it's made by. Well, yeah, and it's it's made by I a company that takes lawyer, perfectly good look, motorcycles and turns them into not motorcycles, I guess. I don't know what lawyer would take up the opposing argument here. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's got a car engine. It's got car tires. I mean, it has a motorcycle front tire, I guess. Uh, does it? I think so. That might be like a rear wheel. No, that's a car tire. The front tire? Yeah. Mm. It might be. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of looks like a Harley rear tire, but Well, I would hope, you know, given all the other retarded decisions they've made, I would hope that it's a car tire. Because if that's got like a near three liter inline four motor right behind it. All of the motor weight is going to be on that front tire. I thought, I thought the Ford, uh, 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 motor was a 3.6. Is it a 2.6? Uh, I think it's like a 2.8 or a 3.2. It's in that range. Cause yeah. the V six is a four liter. Yeah. Well, it's the one that your truck has. Uh, no, I've got the V six. Oh, do you? Okay, I do. Well, yep. this is this is the this is the straight four for it. Then this is the small option, but it's out of a Ford Ranger. Look, if you've got <laughs> if you've got the rear wheel only drive inline four Ranger, like just which is the just, Ranger I would have actually because it's no, so low to the ground. You can actually up. put shit. Just in give it. up. Just give up. <laughs> um. So some other things about this, you'll you'll notice I mentioned that the base price was thirty four thousand dollars. Oh, how high does it go? <laughs> so there's does a it list. come with bottle service? <laughs> <laughs> so there are some options here that are really fun. So if you would like some windshield extenders. That'll be $215, please. And we're talking about the little pieces of like clip-on plastic, you know? If you would like to embroider the trunk with your initials in the carpet, $140. Okay. If you would like to have a fake wood grain interior, what do you think? <laughs> Okay, this is this is for boat people. And I've seen yeah, well I've seen a picture. It is proper like Plymouth town and country fake wood interior. Like it's great. How much does this actually is this like the dash and like some running boards or like what is Yeah, essentially. Okay. Uh I'm going to say like I'm going to go for like $600. $2000. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. But that's not the only alternative interior option as well. There's another one. And you know that it's fake because after the wood grain, there's a little star 
right? <laughs> it's wood grain, like heavy air quotes, interior components. You can also have heavy air quotes, carbon fiber interior. So you can pay, or you could, you used to be able to pay, because I highly doubt they're still making these. You could pay them 2000 extra dollars for fake carbon fiber interior. Oh, is this just like brushed plastic with like a carbon fiber weave texture over it? Yeah. Uh, okay. This came in a variety of colors. There was white pearl, silver, black, candy red, which seems to be the most popular color they were sold in. I like that red. There's black cherry. They made it in yellow, blue, and oddly, I just don't see this. I have not found a picture of one actually that came in orange. And then there was one last final upgrade. The wind effect wind deflectors that you could buy for $215. If you wanted them painted color match to the rest of your bike, another $150, please for the final insult. So to tack it all up, if you conceivably wanted to do a mixture of the wood grain and carbon fiber, plus let's add 7% sales tax. Plus, I'm going to guess there must have been, you know, a $500 destination charge or something. Your initial guess of $40,000 was actually not that far <laughs> off. <laughs> it would have been over $40,000 out the door. No problem. Look. This is this is this is an important part of appraising a vehicle which is you tend to think that things get cooler and better and more refined and more awesome the more expensive they get. This rule holds up until a certain point. And then there's a bit of a it, it, the curve goes back the other way after a certain point. It really takes a, a very, it takes a great deal of money to really be able to afford the worst of what's on offer. Because at a certain point you get to the price bracket of individuals who have no sense of reality anymore. Right. It's that it's that disconnect with reality. Those people that, oh, I love it because it's different. I love it because it's different. I love it because it's different. These people. I I I don't understand these people. And I don't understand them because they are disconnected with reality. You can imagine some just imagine the dude with this on his heavily sloped driveway in an upper middle class neighborhood or upper class neighborhood, you know, probably four miles outside of your 60,000, you know, uh, population town, right? In middle America, just an expensive suburb. And is, you know, standing outside his 
$500,000 house, heavily sloped driveway, lots of landscaping going and it, on. And it's a proper McMansion. Paid gardener. Yeah, but McMansion. It's, la- it's a McMansion, but it's completely well-groomed and landscaped. By and, someone else. And uh, feng shui'd right well. oh yes and he's out there washing it on a sunday hoping that one of the neighbors driving by is gonna do a double take and be like ted is a weird yet ultra classy guy you know like wow look at that crazy thing ted has he's got something going on right that's all he's hoping it's all he lives for. You don't buy this vehicle because you enjoy the experience. Yeah. You haven't crunched the numbers on this purchase. Right. You don't. Well, no, no, no. Maybe you did crunch them oddly because if it was a big flashy Harley Davidson, maybe you got particularly that big flashy Harley Davidson because you wanted some attention from the neighbors. But you probably do still like love riding motorcycles. But there's no way that you enjoy this more than any open-top sports car. There's no way that you enjoy this more than any motorcycle. You buy it because it's so different. I mean, it's just kooky and weird, right? I I just, you know, I thought about getting a bike, but I was like, you know, this is so different. Ugh. The three-wheeled vehicles have been getting by on this false promise of being different. Three-wheelers have been around as long as motorcycles. If they were gonna catch on, it would have happened by now. Yeah. Just let it go. (laughs) It's... Do you understand what I mean, though? That person that said, I love it because it's different. Like, you can just see their brain cells leaking out of their nose as they're like, it's different, though. Yes, it, it's where, it's where disposable income and disability intersect. Yeah. You, it, it, I'll tell you, okay, you know this person that just has no appreciation of art when they talk, they've seen a movie and they go, well, it, um, it's, it's a movie that's a re, often a remake or a reboot of something from, you know, whatever, the 80s and 90s, and they go, well, I loved the way that they did the whatever, right? You know, if it's a remake of, I don't know, what's something from the 90s that was remade? Uh, something from the 90s? Or the 80s, whatever. Just name a remake. Uh, well, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, for one. Okay. It could be, well, I love the way that they did the uh, the mutagen in this one because it was... It's a, no, no. 
no, there's nothing to like about that. Or, you know, it's like a, uh, in like the fast, like five or six when Paul Walker, did, I love the way that they did that he died, but uh, the what? Uh, no, they're not using any brain cells. They're not thinking through. That has nothing to do with the story. That has nothing to do with the action. It has nothing to do with like the makeup of the movie. You're just looking at this gimmick that they threw at you. Yeah, it's You're sort not of person considering who can... what the thing actually is. When they look at this and they go, well, I love it because it's different. It's the same thought process. Look, every... Which is no thought process. Everybody here has... You know, had to go through some sort of training or spend a day around another person. Maybe it was on vacation. It was during a tour. And you were around a person for an extended period of time. And then at some point you had to interact with them and you talk to them. And then you realize that just in their head, they'd had a five minute thought that they had expanded over an entire day. And, like, that was their recollection. Yeah. Like, that's the kind of person who buys this. Who somehow came into money. (laughs) (laughs) There's nobody who, you know, there's nobody on, like, who's, like, either in the boiler room environment of sales or on Wall Street, or like a high-priced lawyer, or a CEO of a company who is going through their life like competently, working hard, being alert, putting the hours in, and then comes across this and thinks like, you know, I've done the numbers, I've taken it for a few test rides, kind of looked around, see what everybody else thinks, I think it's cool, I think it's worth the money. I'm going to buy it. Never happened. I get this is the uh, my final thought on the thoroughbred stallion. Dad was telling us this story about uh, a friend he had when he was young who had a lot of money through his parents. Oh, who, yeah. Who bought a very early V6 um, E-type Jag. I can't remember if it was hardtop or convertible, but anyway. It was hardtop. Hardtop. Oh, I love the hardtops. And he took it and immediately um, did a two-stage um, fuzzy finish on it. Where you, you know, you spray it with the adhesive and then you spray it with that. I don't even know how to describe it, but. It makes the whole, it makes this, it, it's, it's like, it's essentially just like loose dog hair almost like the fibers. Yeah. I'm trying to think there's the, my daughter has these little figurines that are covered in this shit. I'm trying to remember what they're called. <laughs> it's not a calico critters. I don't think, but it's, it's like there, there used to be like a lot of little like miniature dolls that were covered in this shit. Anyway, this guy immediately covered this E-type Jag in it, which, I mean, if you think about it, if there was a way to easily remove it without damaging the paint, it might have been a genius move in preserving the car, but highly unlikely. <laughs> anyway. That was not a consideration. No, it was not. But as I look at the Thoroughbred Stallion, 
this wouldn't even make it cool, but I would feel better that if somebody bought one of these with their dad's money and just like spray painted fuck you on the front and put uh your uh, my other ride is your mom bumper sticker on it and then fuzzy finish the whole fucking thing and (laughs) no 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 you're not dreaming big enough (laughs) full body wrap fake snakeskin yeah that that that's the only way you you have to you have to know the only way to own this is to know that it sucks please tell me like that you at kick least kick it every time you get into it you just kick it please tell me that this came with an underglow option well no but i'm sure but you could easily do it it's the most it's the most <laughs> underglow ready frame you know it's the easiest <laughs> underglow so so there we go i i think we just gotta we gotta move on we i've gotta take a little bit of a break for a second okay <laughs> all right let's just put in the thing <laughs> So I do want to finish off with one point on the thoroughbred, mm-hmm. which is, you know how, you know, in, in medicine and in certain professions, there are legally protected terms, right? Like a nutrition, you know, a dietitian is somebody who actually has a degree or some sort of qualification or certification around healthy eating. And a nutritionist is somebody who's making shit up. Like right. we have distinction, we have legal distinction in terms. Mm-hmm. I think the thoroughbred makes the case for having the word motorcycle being a protected term. Yes. If it's a motorcycle, it's only through the use of power crystals. Yeah. So next topic. <laughs> so uh, off mic for just a moment here. Um, through our our what well, we've always had a love of scooters, but through a a an amplification of our love and appreciation of scooters, I think I've, I'm just going to take it upon myself right now to reach out and I'm going to send an email as well, just in case he doesn't get around to listening to this. But um, Phil, if you're listening. We need a couple Honda gyro canopy scooters and you being the only gray market importer and scooter expert that we know, I think you're the only guy that can get them. So whatever you, whatever, whatever it costs plus whatever, you know, your, your 200 bucks or two fifty in, uh, in profit is. We're looking for it because we have just spent probably what conservatively 25 minutes looking at Honda gyro scooters and just making noises that normal people don't make when they look at these things. Personally, uh, if you can find at least one that is like completely stock Domino's delivery spec. I'm all on board. If you can find a police Honda gyro <laughs> canopy, I'll I'll sell one of my children. <laughs> okay. So, uh, for this next segment, 
uh, seriously now. Um, I think we should talk about out of the box thinking on motorcycle trips. So everyone and their barber had to cancel their big motorcycle trip this year, right? Because many people, when they think about a motorcycle trip, they think about going to a big event or doing a trip that stops through a big event, you know, use a big event as an excuse for your trip, right? You know, so let's say like the the season, the, the end the end round of the Moto America season at Barber, right? A lot of people kind of make a road trip out of that. A lot of people make a road trip out of MotoGP like we do. A lot of people make a road trip out of Sturgis. A lot of people make a road trip out of Americade or Daytona Bike Week, right? This is a very common way people get their road trip in, ourselves included. And pretty much everyone had to kind of just cancel that this year. So I think there's a good number of people that have an increased budget for their trip next year. Or if not extra vacation, sort of an emboldened attitude on just using their full time or demanding extra time next year or or whatever it is, right? There's going to be no deficiency of people looking to do a big trip next year. So I thought it was worth spending some time thinking outside the box, right? If you've got an increased budget or if you're if you've just been cooped up so long you're game to do something extra crazy, extra big or weird or different, what might be on the table for people that aren't necessarily thinking? I talked last week about the sort of A to A circle iron butt trip, right? Well, there's no reason you can't do that two or three times over, you know, and over the course of a week, do a three and a half thousand mile circle by yourself. That's what initially, you know, came to my mind was, okay, we'll just, you know, start with the iron butt the thousand miles in 24 hour circle. But I thought, okay, well, what if you break it down to 500 miles a day and you just do it solo for a week? That's one thing. Now, something that I think is an underrated trip to hit a lot of things that you normally wouldn't hit is you can have a multi-day trip and get back home every day doing a satellite trip of your city or your town. So kind of like a clover leaf. Yes. You know, it, it's sort of like how um, you know, if you want to do like a charity ride, like bicycle ride across the country, you kind of just go as far as you can every day, but then when you're done for the day, when you like when you have nothing left to give, you put a cone down where you stopped. You get into your support van and you go home and you go to a motel and then you drive back out to there and you start from there again. You do it like that, except you chop off a little bit of time and you say, I'm going to start here. I'm going to do a circuit of my city. I'm going to find all the little interesting places to go around my city that I've never had the time to go to before. Because every every city, every town has a 
you know, a million little distinct things to go check out that you've never quite gotten around to going and doing. Right. And what you do is you say, well, I'm going to chop some time off either side to get back home. So you could have a, you know, a 500 mile circuit and you just take, you know, maybe 50 miles to get out to the, to the circle and 50 miles to get back. And you can split that up as a week long or a two week long trip where you just pick up where you left off coming from home and you can finish at home every single night. That's really good. And it, it scales up and it scales down because there's a version like there there's a there's a hundred and fifty miles each day version of this on a bicycle or a scooter. Right. Yeah. I like that. Which naturally I think leads into the next idea. We were talking about how insane it would be to do an iron butt on the scooters. And I'm kind of against that idea at this point because I just don't know how long you can run an air-cooled two-stroke at wide open throttle and think that's a smart idea. <laughs> it would need to be like 95% of the time wide open throttle. Yeah. And that's only leaving you like six 20-minute breaks. Right. And the and yeah, it's like twenty hours of wide open throttle. I mean, if we've got Honda Helix like two fifty scooters, I'm game for this, no problem. But on on classic styled scooters, I don't think this is a smart idea. But I do think there's a two to three hundred mile a day version of this that's that's totally doable. But I think you still kind of need a support wagon, you know? Yeah. Maybe with a spare scooter and four extra tires for when you arrive. Maybe a spare motor. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think there's some modern scooters. I mean, like a modern Vespa 300, I think you can just crush miles. Like a legit iron butt's no problem with that. But if you're going like older, yeah. I, I do kind of like the idea, uh, and this leads me naturally into the next idea, which is what, what if you have a third rider, you know, or a person who's just willing to just drive the whole thing. What if you have a support wagon? We think of road trips as we we think of the movie poster for oh gosh, what's the movie? Oh my god. Easy Rider. Just two dudes out there just N nothing but desert around forever. You know, you're out there completely on your own, right? There is a charm to that. And I talked about that last week in doing my iron, butt. but a support van driving behind you really makes all the camping and everything that much easier and better. And you have another person to hang out with and bullshit with when you get to that KOA campground, you can just pull your tents and everything out of there. And 
there's really nothing wrong with that. There's plenty of things that that can add to the experience. I mean, there, well, there's there's some levels of distinction that need to be made here that need to be clarified. Okay. Which is, you know, if you're doing something like we did where we were um, riding, you know, where we every year when we ride Dakota, you know, it's it is a motorcycle adventure of sorts, but it is on a timetable. Right. And we go over our bikes because every time we do this trip, because realistically we want there to be like a 98% chance that we get there on time. Like we need a high degree of reliability. Now, if yeah, because the ride is great, but what makes the ride epic is the timetable, is making the miles. Right. But also, you know, when we do it, you know, dad's driven down every time. And we know that even if we did break down, dad might have to backtrack 50 miles to put a bike on the trailer and we'd all still get down there. We might get there a couple hours later than we intended to, but we're going to get there. And there's a reli- there's a whole there's several stages of reliability built into that trip. Now, if you don't have a job or if you are on um sabbatical to do this to do this crazy trip that you want to do and you can afford to break down for a day or two, and you know, you can in you can introduce all different types of adventure and uh struggle into your trip that ultimately may make it a better memory. Yeah. I, I've thought of our tr- our trips that we take down to MotoGP and back as this sort of like moto Iditarod where <laughs> Especially on the way back where there's often a lot of inclement weather and it's just kind of, like I said, about sludging through the miles. And that's what gives it this big epic feeling because it's like, we got to make it, you know, and especially when it gets to things like Mike with his Buell and, and looking at the, pro- the the prospect of real breakdown happening and staring that in the face, it there's a heightened stress level, but when it's done, like it's the most satisfying crack of a beer, right? I think the only time that you and I have not been like seething angry at each other during one of these long trips was the one time that we stayed on time and actually finished a successful iron putt. Every other trip we've had at least like a hundred miles of being incredibly angry at each other well yeah but (laughs) (laughs) well it gets gets better well i admit that a lot of it has been with my just weird need to have a preconceived idea of the trip and a need to like stay on this pace for a totally arbitrary reason i'm not saying that it was that it's a bad thing like ultimately it's hilarious and it's so much fun it's 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 a much better memory afterwards oh yeah because of all the struggle well the thing is like we could be absolute like we could be 2 hours ahead of our of our our target time 
and, and you'll be like, we've been here for 11 minutes. Well, no, we need see, that's to the go. weird thing. I'm usually more concerned with our pace for the overall trip, whereas you get really out of sorts. Like, even if we're ahead of schedule, if we're just dilly-dallying at a, a particular stop. I I, I get, think I you're get, the one that goes, it's been 23 minutes. What are we doing here? And and I totally get that because I, I repeat it all the time. How much of your adventure do you want to spend in a gas station? I totally get it. No, that's that's not but that's I, not I, where I'm, I am. I feel like I am more – maybe I'm – I could be off base here. But I feel like I am usually more concerned with – the overall time we're making and what our projected arrival time is versus how long we've been at this particular gas station. Because if we're ahead of schedule, I don't mind burning a few extra minutes at that gas station. I just want to know that overall, our average speed, even when stopped, is still good. Yeah, so my my perspective is very different, which is essentially the complete opposite, which is, you know, if we had some sort of issue that totally slowed us down or we went in the wrong direction or somebody had a bike issue that we had to fix, then once that issue is over, okay, maintain the same pace and let's keep going. Let's try to keep being efficient, but we've lost some time and that time's gone. We're not getting it back. So let's just keep moving on. The stuff that pisses me off is... And it, honestly, this was really, this really tested me with Mike is stopping even for very short peri- delays of very short time periods for pointless bullshit. Yeah, like it's... if we all get on the bikes and we say, we're going to go right now and you put your helmet on, then you put your gloves on. And then you realize, oh, I need to put some music on for my phone so I can listen to a podcast or something in my helmet system. And then you do that and you put your gloves back on. And then you realize that your key's still in your pocket and you take your gloves off again. And you put your key in and start your bike. Then you put your gloves back on. And then you realize that you haven't done your helmet strap back up. Like, that will enrage me. I've seen it. <laughs> I. Well, I like when it's on, it's on, but we all better be on the same page. Yeah. <laughs> like, or I'm going to lose it. Yeah. So getting back to just creative types of road trips, right? So, so like I said, I, if you're doing that sort of just epic ride to make the miles, I kind of call that like the motorcycle I did a rod. Now, when you're doing the trip with the support vehicle, I call that the long way round, right? Mm-hmm. Where it may be about time, it may be about distance, but you're going to relieve a lot of the burden by enlisting the help of someone with a van. And personally, I'm of the opinion that it's okay to have three riders, two bikes, and a van and every third day someone can drive the van yeah or you can do 200 mile stretches 100 mile stretches 
Right. I mean, that involves a lot of like gear on and off, but yeah, perhaps it depends what your goal is, what your miles are. But I, especially if you've done some big road trips and you don't feel like you have anything left to prove, you know, I could just kind of ride forever. I've, I've proven that to myself. I still think there's a part of me that wants to get into a position with my, my, my working life where I could take the time off to do something like the, uh, the, the iron, butt. um, what do they call it? Saddle sore. No, 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 not convention, but the, 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 the Iron Butt Rally. Okay. Where it's like three, it's not three weeks, but it's like, it's like, it's like, th- I don't know how many days it is. It's a long time. Like It's more time than most people can casually take off work to just do like eight, nine, 1200 miles a day every day for stupid amounts of time. Right. Especially if you have kids and things, it's, it's it's one of those things that's out of reach for most people, like climbing Everest is out of reach. You're like, oh, maybe I'm physically fit enough to do that, but where do I have the time to do something stupid like this, right? right. Not many of us just casually have the time to fly out there and just spend a week getting acclimated to the to the altitude at base camp before you pay who knows how many thousands of dollars with some sherpa to get you up there right it's it's not even like it's this impossible thing to do it's just who has the resources to do that right so a lot of these ideas of these motorcycle trips kind of are shortcuts to to get you to a trip that is an approximation of that of that Mount Everest climb, right? So, for example, um, so so the the quote Everest trip. These are the the foreign destination trips where you just you you pay for all of that time, the acclimation, that that getting lost. You get rid of all those things by just paying money. You're like, I'm going to go to Brazil or Mexico and give someone somewhere between three and $8,000 to just get on a BMW F- F650. They've got the support van. They know the route. And we're just going to have an adventure. Or for half the price, fly to Vietnam and do it on knockoff Hondas. Personally, that's the way I would go. But yeah, like whatever floats your boat. There's versions of this in um, what's the one that the, the Misfits did? They they go to um, oh gosh, uh, Afghanistan. No, no, is it Afghanistan? No, it's not Afghanistan. They go to um, mm, near Afghanistan. Oh my gosh, can't help you. Borders with India, Pakistan, Pakistan. That's the one. Yeah. There's a trip they take in Pakistan. It's like three and a half thousand dollars. You fly there and it's like nine days or some shit. You go on like little like one seven five like motorcycles and they fucking take them over the goddamn mountains. They, like, they, they've done it so many times. They know exactly where to pull off and adjust all the air screws. 
on the carburetors when they get to certain altitudes. <laughs> like they just know the whole thing. They know every hotel they're going to stop off at. They know, you know, all these places. And because they keep visiting there with all these white people, everyone's like, hey, these people have money. Let's be super nice to them. Like, and it's a great experience, apparently. And because it's in Pakistan, it's three and a half thousand dollars and you live like a fucking king the whole time. Right. And, and I'm I'm a fan of this system. I want to do one of these, like, especially the Pakistan trip really appeals to me because you're on kind of the vehicle. It, it's like the, the Vietnam one with, with, with like the Honda one fifties. It's you're, you're in the vehicle for that place. Right. Yeah. That really appeals to me. You know, if I if I'm in Alaska, I kind of want to be on a BMW 1250GS because I feel like that's the vehicle that people take to Alaska. And if I'm if I'm in Brazil, I want to be on something that I don't even fucking know the name of, right? Yeah, some sort of <laughs> yeah. Chinese Brazilian merger operation. Well, actually, if I was in Brazil, I'd want to be on that Honda 250 Flex Fuel. Uh, bike that they make but yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah you, you kind of want to be on the thing in the place right right so one thing i will say is i think and we should probably wrap this up but one thing i will say is that i mean we're only at an hour and 20 minutes we've still got emails and things yeah, yeah. but anyways um something that everyone should do is if you have any interest or you've thought about it at all doing a trip a thousand miles in any direction from your home just do it yeah break it up over several days if you need to do the iron button fail totally fine but just go and do it and find somebody dumb enough to go with you and then doing that Figure out what you like about motorcycle trips. Whether it's being on Bluetooth and talking shit and just talking about bikes endlessly for hours at a time. Whether it's the accomplishment of getting the miles in and just making time towards a goal. Whether it's just observing the scenery and just seeing the land pass by you and kind of having this kind of faux mental image of the entire trip and like as if you're mapping out the land like that ins that explorer instinct like fine go do one big trip when you've got plenty of time and an easy abort option and find out what you like about motorcycle trips and then build all of your other trips off of that. That's really smart. Uh, I don't have anything to add to that, except for uh, you use that to, um, I've got just a couple more of these, these models of motorcycle trips. So the next one that I, the, um, the, I think this opens up a lot of doors to people that, you know, kind of look at Google Maps and their area and what they think is possible. And they think, oh, I love bikes, but like I'm in Kansas and there's nowhere to good to ride around here. So this next one I call planes, trains, and motorcycles. 
especially if you have a group of people, it's surprisingly affordable to ship like four bikes at a time in a train car. It's going to take a week for your bikes to get across the country, but it's conceivable that halfway through next year, you can book it. You can get your bikes on a train from the middle of Kansas out to like New York or something. Then you all buy plane tickets and you could think, well, there's not like a good, like 2000 mile circle around here, but maybe New York to Miami. Right. And by, you know, just like major port to major port. And, and then you can just do a thousand mile stretch of California coastline or East coast or Alaska halfway through Canada or whatever, and just ship the bikes there and ship them back. And you fly there and you fly back. And maybe this adds anywhere from $800 to $2,000 to the cost of your trip. But if you've got a bit of an inflated budget from not doing jack shit this year, maybe all of a sudden, if you with a little planning here and there, this is possible. Like, I personally would love to ship our bikes to New York and then ride up through Maine through, um, I can't remember what the fucking province is called, and then into Nova Scotia, go up around Cape Breton and shit, and just do a whole fucking lap of Nova Scotia through uh, through early July, go to Stanfest by, and all that stuff, you know? Would it be great to take the scooters up through the fucking, like, around the Cabot Trail? Oh, my gosh. I mean, I bet we could pack the Stella onto the back of the Norge. Right. Yeah, yeah. The, <laughs> yeah. What if we shipped? What if we shipped the Norge and the Goldwing with trailers with the scooters on them? <laughs> Trailered the scooters with bikes up into up into Nova Scotia, and then scootered from Nova Scotia up to Cape Breton. <laughs> oh no! I would just straight up ratchet strap the 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 Stella onto the back of the Norwich. Oh yeah, that's, that's doable totally too. feasible. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so the the planes, trains, and motorcycles, right? If you if you open up your I mean there's a super expensive version of this where you just straight up fly your motorcycle to Europe. I mean it's not as expensive as you think, but it is expensive. Yeah well I mean what everyone should realize is that Unless you're doing something extreme with high-performance motorcycles, doing lots of really demanding off-road through really exotic terrain, essentially a lot of motorcycle trips are about struggling. Yeah. And you can do somebody's $10,000 motorcycle trip for like $50 with maybe slightly with, with just more familiar topography. Like it is possible. You're whenever you go further, you know, you know, well, when you, when you take off the mileage, you know, when you account for mileage and gas and wear and tear, 
it really is, you know, an exponential cost to get a more and more exciting and more and more adventurous trip. But the amount of enjoyment you can get out of it is not linear at all. So there there are plenty of good trips. I mean, I remember you were telling me about, you know, when you realized that you could do a motorcycle trip because when you only had the CB350 at the time. Oh, yeah. And, you, and you're talking to someone who's like, oh, I'd love to do a motorcycle trip someday and go out over here. And it's like, why don't you just go? It's like, well, I've only got the CB350. It's like, why is that a problem? Yeah, dad rode the CB350 from here to Indiana. <laughs> yeah. In two days as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think you did like two 600-mile days on that freaking bike. What, which is actually hardcore. It is. Oh, I've never accused Dad of not being uh not being a hardcore rider, yeah. So um th- there's a couple other a couple other quick uh little models for rides here. One I call the budget Baja. So if you can locate about a hundred or a hundred and fifty or you know, some 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 something amount of sort of off-road riding that's more than a hundred miles, you would be amazed at what a thing it's going to feel like to get a couple like KLR 650s or something like that. And you know how long 50 miles is going to take you if you can find an actual 50 or 100 miles of actual off-road riding to do. It's actually quite a long ways. You know, like a ditch used to live um, right next to all the public lands up in Eagle, right? Oh, yeah, all the BLM land. Mm-hmm. And he'd go up there uh, with his, his his scout. and Well, we did it a few times, and we only did like 10 miles. Maybe. And then <laughs> it, it took like hours. Hour. It, it took like hours hour. to do 10 miles. Exactly. Yeah. What if we found a 100-mile route through there? How long, how big of a journey would that be? Oh, it'd be insane. It would be, exactly. Yeah, it it would be like two days, uh-huh. three days. Exactly. If you can find somewhere around, you know, like a hundred miles of off road riding to do somewhere remotely near you, you know, it might be a two, three, four hundred mile ride on the highway to get to your off road riding. Then you camp. Then you do your hundred miles of off road riding are physically just exhausted, camp again, and then ride back. You've got yourself a three-day trip. Don't underestimate the budget Baja. Yeah. <laughs> and then um, the last one is um, – this kind of fits into the the shorter mile um, scooter thing. Uh, but this is sort of like the Tour de France model, right, where – if you have the time, but you you're like, well, I love bike trips, but I can't do these four, five, six, one thousand mile days. Well, if you're into doing two hundred miles a day at most, well, just do the Tour de France model, right? Make it last two weeks of two hundred miles every day, and then you get to stop and see every little thing. <laughs> 
right? And this is also kind of the predominantly the Harley Davidson model, I think, of doing road trips where you just stop a lot and yeah, you really this, take in all the tourist sites. I mean, and, this is this is the Eagle Ride model. Yeah, and as much as we glorify, and this is where I want to end on this, we glorify big miles. We glorify like amazing <laughs> uh, average speeds even when stopped we glorify the epic you know just hardcore ridiness of all these these trips it's important to remember that it's about the riding and it's about the destination there's nothing wrong with doing 200 miles a day and stopping to see all that stuff Personally, you and I know that we love riding through things like the Painted Desert, where it's like miles and this big scenery, and we're not necessarily into all the visitor centers and all of that. It, you know, when it's big miles and you feel like you've really seen something, that's that's the perfect thing for us. But that's not perfect for everyone. It's It really is for a lot of people just about you know, not just about, but as much about all the visitor centers and the little kooky things and the and the greasy spoon diners. So I'm not going to look down at anyone that's doing, you know, 200 mile days for a week and they only do a thousand miles over a whole week of riding. So there we go. Um, let's see. Do we want to move on to the emails and close this one out under two hours for a change? Um, maybe. I'm going to have to filter the emails a little bit because. Yeah. I think you should just kind of go over emails that we've had a little bit more recently. And here's a promise I'll make. Well Here's well. Okay. Here's one thing I will say is we should give it an acknowledgement to all the people who emailed us, even though we told them not to. Well, yeah, even though you told them not to. There's a lot of people um, that they miss us, that they understand, and that they wanted us to come back. We read every single one of her emails, and we really do appreciate it. I've read most of them now. Not all of them. Well, there were a lot, okay? I, I spent some time yesterday, and I, I read through a bunch of them. Uh, I'll finish up reading them probably tomorrow. And what I think I'm going to do is the emails that you don't read here, I'm going to go back in time, and I'm going to respond to all the other ones that just kind of came and I wasn't looking at our inboxes at all. But I, I have read every single email you guys sent us about that. And, and I just want to say, I really do appreciate it. And for the number of listeners we have and how many emails we got, uh, it was probably our biggest email turnout ever. <laughs> It was, yes. Apparently, we have been filling a void in a lot of people, more people's lives than we realized we were. Yeah. Well, I think I think you should start with um, Phil's email that he sent us because he actually gave us user like content. Uh, which one? 
Phil's our like biggest super fan. So. I know. We really and which uh, one? Uh, the the last one he sent where he actually remember we uh, asked for anyone to send in their own suggestions on paper plate awards. Oh for oh yes yes here I got it yeah. Um. Okay. So Phil says uh, paper plate awards most fuckable bike is the Busa because of the curves and that sweet booty bump. <sighs> Let's see the most fuckable bike. I. Okay, I hear that, and I totally get it. I totally get it. There, there's, but I feel like for some people, no, no. Well, okay, mm, mm. I don't want to disagree because I can only suggest another bike, which is a tie for most fuckable bike, right? And I don't have like I don't have a particular person in my uh, to to equate this to, but I feel like the MV Augusta F four, right, is sort of your your standard not supermodel but kind of Hollywood actress kind of super hot, right? Whereas the Busa is sort of this slightly non traditional but undeniably super fuckable kind of thing. Like when I think about the Busa in terms of being fuckable, it's kind of this sort of like Alexis, Texas kind of thing where you're like, "Mm, some people might think that's a little bit wide or heavy, but universally if behind closed doors, a lot of people are like, yeah, I'm actually really fucking down for that. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, you know, I understand where, where how the, people where, can where, entertain this idea. The, the, but the whole concept to me just makes me like mentally chafe. Like, it's, okay, I'm just, <laughs> uh, but that's okay. what makes us different. I'm willing to go there. I, I don't know if I am. <laughs> All well, right, I can go there. It's going to make me very uncomfortable. Okay, so what 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 else did Phil give us for paper plates? Uh, he says uh, stupidest bike, donk of any description. I don't know what that means. I'm not sure that I do either. Should we Google this? Let's do it. Hmm. Oh, it's like a pro street thing. So this is the giant, like, 36 front-inch wheel. But these are specifically the ones that have the the bags that, like, drag against the ground. Wow. Well, cast it. I didn't know. Oh, okay. I didn't know these had a name, honestly. Wow. Okay. Yeah, let's cast it to the TV. Let's use our amazing futuristic technology. Oh, this is the the whole Honda Fury fad thing. Uh, I I see it done with Harley's more than anything, but this is yeah. These are these are it's American Bosozoku, right? These are these are vehicles with exaggerated features, specifically the huge rims with skinny tires, right? But it's slam suspension. But it's done by people who actually 
can afford it at insane markups. Oh, these are high end builds. Yes, I mean, they're stupid, but yes. So, so they're high end. They're all the same, and they're uncreative. Hmm. You know, okay. I I think this. Qu- I, I I have no convincing argument against this. Yeah, I I, I think Phil's nailed that one. Okay. I, yeah. <laughs> no Komodo well, approved. Moving on. <laughs> send your uh, yeah, send your other suggestions in, but don't hold your breath. Right. Uh. Yeah. We, so, do they call them donk bikes, or is that a pejorative? I don't know. I, all I can say is what Google and Pinterest have sent back to me. I, yeah. Okay. Well, we'll have to dig into it. But okay, next on the list, best worst bike in the world, Royal Enfield Bullet Five Hundred. That was early on. You know, it's it's not a. Uh, does that mean? Here's the thing, though, because it's it does. Okay. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, does it mean that this is Phil's favorite bike? Uh like because it's the one he had the most fun sort of trashing on with us? Or is this the one that is the worst bike that is sort of the least worst? This is exceedingly the worst bike. Oh, okay. That's what I'm interpreting from best worst bike. See, I think I, I think what we need is I'm going to ask Phil to come back with clarify because I'd like to know what is the most worst bike and what is the most best bike. Yeah. What is the extra most bestest and extra most worstest in the world this week? I mean, I could go either way on the Bullet 500. In terms of, uh, there's so many different angles to it, though. It's very hard. I know, because it it is, to look at, like when you see a really clean one, it is this amazingly beautiful thing, because it's not retro and weird for the sake of being retro and weird. It's retro and weird because that's of what necessity. It li- Cause that's the tooling they had to that's put together. That's what it is. Exactly. That's that's, it's a product of not it's time. It's a product of the past, but it's legitimately a product of the past. It's, it's, it is an enigma. Mm. Yeah. So his worst best well, actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to say that these are the other extremes. This is no the actual best worst bike because I'm now informed by his worst best bike. Okay, because his worst best bike is the Ural. Did we have that as a best bike? I think uh, did we? I don't remember ever saying anything kind about the Ural. This may be Phil's uh, personal choices, then. I think they are his personal choices. Hmm. All right, Phil, you're going to have to send us another email. Yeah. (laughs) Go through 114 episodes of Best and Worst Bikes and uh, give us your 
extra most bestest and extra most worstest. Uh, I mean, so so, but let's examine Phil's suggestion here for a moment. His paper plates, because because we just actually kind of went over, missed the point, right? So so the Ural is the worst best bike. So I think what he's saying is this is a bike that a lot of people love, and maybe it's like the worst dream bike ever. Does that make sense? A lot yeah. of people lust after this, especially with the sidecars. Like, oh my God, it'd be so great if I owned one of those. I would be a hero riding down the road with my dog, wearing his doggles, going to microbreweries, and then I might hit the occasional off-road trail, just looking like I'm in an Indiana Jones movie, kicking ass. But really, has anyone ever heard the word doggles and not smiled? <laughs> I, I don't know. But <laughs> I I think it's a dream that a lot of people are disappointed by once they actually live it. Like there is some romance to the machine because it is it, it I don't think it's a pleasant ride but it is engaging. It's it's that kind of ride where you're just sort of managing this disa- this rolling disaster. Look, if I wasn't actually relying on it for transportation and as soon as I finished a big adventure trip with it, I could just be done with it and it was gone from my life. Like if you if you were it'd be if, super fun if you were dot com rich and you could buy one that you knew was disposable you could buy it brand new for sixteen thousand yeah. dollars and go I'm, I'm gonna, gonna own 5, this for miles. fourteen days and then set it on fire you're like I'm gonna own this for one oil change and then right. it's out of my life right like, I'm sure it's really fun then it probably isn't bad if you just think about it, to buy it new put 2000 miles on it and just sell it. And just instead of renting an off-road bike for two weeks, if you buy one new do 2000 miles and just know that you're just going to eat the depreciation. Yeah. In that instance, I could see it being the worst best buy. But it's still probably going to break down. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, the electronics are really its weak point. So it, it actually might be okay if you had got one brand new and decided to thrash it. You, you might be okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. So Phil sent us another email. And I got to bring this one up to read because this was... This, this was really special. And, you know, I like Phil. I've always liked Phil. But he sent me this thing. And when he sent me this, I was like, you know what? Phil fucking gets it. That's... <laughs> oh, I'm in airplane mode. That's why. Um, Let's see. Oh, my God. Shut the fuck up, phone. 
Oh, gosh. This is a great pod. Just me trying to, like, take my phone out of all this shit. Um, find another email real quick while I bring this one up. Uh, okay. Any second now. That'd be a good time. <laughs> Just any, the last email we got, anything. Uh, okay, yeah, so let's do one from Peter Cox, who has emailed us several times from Australia. Peter said, oh, did I say his full name? Okay, we will have to edit that out, but... Uh, okay, so Peter says from... Oh, he Peter. knew what he was in for when he emailed us. He should have known better. Ah, we should do it. Okay, anyway, let's keep this train wreck going. Uh, okay, good to hear you again, NoCo mates. I don't know if we're going to go with that. Well, he wrote it and you read it, so it's on the record now. You don't have to like it. I guess that's true. Uh, Yeah. Uh, And very happy to hear some joy back in MotoGP's voice. As a listener tip, somewhere after two hours, Swiggy crossed the line into incoherence, so maybe there is a natural time limit slash blood alcohol content for the pod. No such thing. Okay. Well, not not when we're doing regular one and a half to two hour episodes anyway. You know what? It was all great for me. I had a wonderful time. But also looking at the <laughs> Apple analytics, a shocking number of you have listened to the end. Like more than I would have guessed. So I guess the joke is on you, not us. Okay. <laughs> We're like the Dune 2000 of podcasts. Apparently. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently. It doesn't matter. You'll you'll just take it. So. This is a good moment to bring up the fact that uh, I can't remember his name, but the actor in the new Dune remake looks just like Joe Roberts. Oh, yeah. I don't remember his name, but yeah, you're right. I should post a side-by-side photo comparison in the show notes because I don't know if anyone else, like. Look, if we can make some shirts. The jo- Brodo GP memes that could come out of that side-by-side comparison. Look, if Joe Roberts wins a race, then we can start making, you know, all sorts of amazing shirts. Oh, yeah. <laughs> He's got some great nicknames. We can call him the uh, the Quizots Heterock. Wow, we're getting we'll get really deep into you. You already got a lot deeper than most people are. (laughs) I guarantee you that more listeners were were more comfortable with my Alexis Texas reference than that. Okay, all right. More people were cool with with the dip with breaking down Daleks and R two D two, okay. The- <laughs> well, what you just hit is a <laughs> level of elite nerddom that I 
I mean, that's alien status nerddom. Okay. I, I have always maintained that Dune is like the hardcore nerd version of like Gone with the Wind times the Hounds of the Baskervilles times the English Patient. Yeah. It's <laughs> this is like super deep nerddom. Yes. <laughs> okay, so I got Phil's email here, which is great. So Phil had had said, you know, that email where he told us it's called Grip Shift, which is just how I'm reading the tone of this email. I mean, it's just plain, you know, script, but it, to me, it really feels like it says it's called Grip Shift, right? <laughs> and so I was like, you know, I can't help it. Our father calls it Twist Select. I mean, hey, you know, give us a little forgiveness for being noobs. And then this is where Phil really fucking gets it. He goes, he goes, yeah, I mean, geez, come on. I'm so glad you guys are back on the air. I thought we were the only podcast that was allowed to circle the drain into drunken oblivion at the three and a half hour mark. How dare you? And then he ends it with excellent show. Three stars. <laughs> <laughs> Phil fucking gets it, all right? And that's why he is the hero he is. All right. <laughs> Have we got any more emails that we want I to I can't read? believe Phil thought the full four hours was worth his time. So... I. <laughs> I'm sure he listened to it at like eight times speed. <laughs> but so, well, I should make, sh I should uh, say, I only literally got one sentence into this email. Okay. So there's a whole bunch more. Oh, all right. And he said, and so just to reacclimate you, and this is from Peter from Australia. So, going into the actual substance, he He's says... He's emailed us before, hasn't he? A bunch of times, yeah. Oh, we're all right, yeah. And he says, firstly, fucking Groms. A local riding group was doing evening rides around the Sydney beaches and bays. After a couple of all-welcome rides, every following event had no Groms prominently posted. There are swarms of these things in Sydney... Quite a number fitted with stunt bars. The hooligan that way pulling wheelie the oh. the hooligan their way pulling wheelies, lifting the back to do traffic light burnouts, and generally drawing the attention of the upper classes and the houses with views of the beaches and bays. Two thumbs up. I'm a yeah. fan of that. Yeah, I am too. I like I <laughs> Peter, what's your fucking problem? <laughs> this is this is wonderful okay. stuff. Who don't hesitate to call in the constabulary. So no groms. Oh, okay. So they've they've ruined the fuck. They've they've now profiled themselves. Is what he's saying essentially. I'm even a fan of that. I'm going <laughs> to be honest. Like this is this is the whole basis of why the Kajiva Super City 125 was the best bike in the world, right? <laughs> <laughs> the, all right. So continuing on. On the other hand, a charity ride in the Snowy Mountains a year or two ago, I did see one fitted out as a mini-adventure tour with knobbies, saddlebags, and barkbusters headed up above the snow line. So not all groms. 
Well, so so yeah, the 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 Grom. We don't fully know what the Grom is yet, even though it's six years into production. A lot of people think of the Grom as its own little thing, which it is. It is, but I think it's also. I think the Grom is an intermediate between a 49cc scooter and a proper motorcycle. It still requires a license, but nowadays a license to get a motorcycle to just barely competently pass a motorcycle test is what, like $40? Okay. It's not expensive to actually accomplish plus the price of the vehicle it's a little bit of an escalation it's in the four stroke kind of over 50 cc category but it's there's a level of accessibility that's very much unintimidating so i mean look by the way, I've got th- I've got two more paragraphs to go. Well, I still have to interject. I I don't see. I don't think we know what the Grom is in terms of history yet. The Grom has this multi-stage lifestyle, like like it like from a caterpillar to a butterfly to something else. Right? It's this weird like. Kafka's metamorphosis esque. It's, it's it's Kafka's metamorphosis of motorcycles because it's this entry level vehicle, but it's still in its first lifestyle life cycle phase. Used ones are still almost the cost of new, right? Because it came a it came around at the straight at this strange evolutionary stage of motorcycles where everyone thought it was super expensive but it was it was actually to its advantage that it was expensive because it was just expensive enough to finance which is why a bunch of people were able to buy it the people that buy it don't have $3600 to swing but they do have $90 a month yeah, they can finance a $3,600 motorcycle. What they cannot do is buy a $2,000 electric scooter in cash. Right. So we have not seen what people are going to start doing to these things when they are $1,200 used. Because you cannot find a $1,200 Grom. They do not exist. Well, keep in mind, these bikes have been around for quite a while now, and this whole trend continued on. Within a year of the original release, people were buying them and reposting them on eBay Motors for like another $300 above MSRP. Right. Which... Okay. The no anal- one, no, the nobody analogy- has paid off a Grom yet, is the point. <laughs> no, here, here's the analogy I'm going to give you. Imagine in um, in Home Alone. I'm listening. When Dennis uh, comes up 
to you know, in the, Dennis or or sorry. Kevin. When, yeah, sorry, I I Kevin to, the Menace. Yeah, okay, Kev, yeah. When Kevin the Menace <laughs> comes into the kitchen in the first scene, um, and he's looking for his plain cheese pizza. Yeah. And he realizes that Buff has eaten all of his cheese pizza. Was it Buff? It may have been. Buff, and, Biff, whatever. And he was pissed because he had all his pizza. But then he pretended to barf out the pizza. Yeah. If you could imagine if Kevin like rushed over and knelt under him to receive the barf... Like, that's how people are consuming Groms still right. to this day. Right. Yeah, it's still in that first life cycle phase. We have not seen what it's going to do when they become cheap, and then when they become retro cool, and then when they become worthless, and then when they just are antiquity. Like, it's going to go, it's going to continue to be this weird, bizarre thing. For the next 40 years, at least. So if you're off put by Groms, get used to it. It's all I can tell you because they because they make them in such ridiculous volume in 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 North America and Europe. Honda's best selling thing by far. It's not even close. I'm a fan. I am, too. It's a force of nature. Okay, so yeah, I don't finish have to, the email. We should. Right, yeah. We're like thirty minutes into this email at this point. Let's keep going. He says, "Again, this is Peter from Australia. Just you know, on our next episode of this fucking email. Uh, secondly, on scooters, I had reason to ride a Piaggio MP3 250 400 kilometers up the highway for a national scooter rally many years ago and had an introduction to modded Lambrettas and Vespas. I'll add some photos. Some of the performance builds included flat slide Clark, er, and we've reached that (laughs) mark. Flat slide carbs uh, with foam air filter pods through holes cut in the side panels, front disc brake conversions on Lambrettas, high compression piston slash expansion chamber exhausts. One guy had fitted an Olin's R1 rear shock under the panels. <laughs> It was a great weekend with lots of ska, Northern Soul, and mod tunes, and multiple rideouts, laying down a blue smoke haze. Some people riding in got hit with torrential rain, so there were a few drowned engines, mainly the foam and pod filters. Shocker. Uh, and wet electrical systems. And lots of pairs of Doc Martin boots drying in the sun the next day. We had Twist and Go scooters in the family fleet since around 2004, and I recently had a Sim Simbo 100cc I scored from a neighbor who was relocating. That had clutches gear change and was great fun to keep 
the throttle pinned and bang through the gears around the suburbs. But I had to let let it bleh. But I had to let it go of its because of its appalling acceleration from a dead stop at traffic lights. A solid carb tomb, pod filter, and pipe might have helped, or me losing a few kilos. I've also included a picture of a Honda step-through build that I see around the local cafe racer scene. That carb and velocity stack are the bomb. So my takeaway is the that that Simba 110. I can't remember if it's a 100 or 110. I think the Simba is a 110. At least in the U.S. anyway. So the, the, Sim, the Simba is the SYM version of the Cub. The Honda Super Cub. And it's super clever if you think about it. Because it's SYM. It's the Simba. Simba. Which means lion. Right? Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, the Cub. Right? Lion Cub. It's, it's, it's a brilliant name. Anyway... The Simba, but I recognize that being curious about the Simba is like hovering your mouse cursor over a video that says, you know, three D animation of Alexis Texas with a dick, right? I realize that having a strong desire to try one of these out makes me a fucking weirdo. <laughs> I get it. But I'm told that they fix a lot of problems that classic Honda Super Cubs had. Like they're just smoother, they're a little bit quicker, even though they're less displacement, they're a little more reliable. They're just, they make a few little tweaks to the styling that you look at it and you think you're looking at a classic Honda Super Cub, but it's actually tweaked to be a little bit better. It's it's a little bit of rewriting history. And I'm into it. I don't, (laughs) there's no satisfying conversation. Even old men don't want to talk to you. I get it, but it's this weird intersection of scooters, motorcycles, uh, automatic clutches and, and just no, but, and just, and just being just unfuckable and unrelatable to the world in general. I get it, but that's what I took away that, that he had one, he's into it. He's willing to go there. And, and, and I, I feel a connection with him from Peter to Peter through, through this strange vehicle that that's my takeaway on this email. Alexis, Texas with a dick. (laughs) Just keep saying it. And we went there again. (laughs) (laughs) All right. (laughs) What, what's, what did you get out of this email? Swigs? Uh, I don't know. You've introduced a fair bit of brain fog here. So, uh, I 
You've totally thrown me off track. I uh, he did talk a bit about uh, you sending us some pictures of uh, modded scooters with with bigger carbs and stuff. It's worth noting. I don't know if you know this. I we are in possession of two Makuni v, Makuni VM thirty two carbs. We kind of owe it to ourselves to buy some sort of super just fucked up trashy scooter and throw one of these carbs on there just to see what happens. Do we? Are are we obligated to? Well, we're not, but, you know... (sighs) As much as my career affords me a lot of cash flow, I will remind you I'm still not a homeowner. Well, like at some point, <laughs> look, as soon as I have a two car garage, like this shit's going to go insane. But yeah. at the moment, I don't feel any obligation. Yeah, you're already buying multiple Italian <laughs> things. <laughs> I do own three Italian design motorcycles right now, which is enough for any per- any responsible person. I mean, I am a homeowner, but I still have yet to own anything fuel injected. <laughs> it's terrible. All right, have we got any more emails? Um, I'm sure we do, but have you got one like handy? Um, because it's okay to end this train wreck of an episode if we don't. We we, we can end it now. Uh, I'm trying to look for a non just. Hey, you're back. It's fine We'd to just you. like end it with a shout out. That's yeah. fine. Uh, no, yeah, let's send it now. Okay, there we go. Yeah, that's that's mercy kill this episode. <laughs> and only two hours. So here we go. At two hours, we're going to end this one. Episode 114, 15. I can't remember when we started. I think I thought you said fifteen at the beginning of this episode. That sounds right. I'm not keeping track, and I don't care. So okay, it's on you. So I'm also going to say, if you're listening, Alex, I'm going to reach out to you soon. So sorry we haven't gotten back to you. Uh, this this show moving forward is not going to do a bunch of dick sucking and asking for raising and reviews and whatever. The joy of doing this show is simply enough here on out and we're not going to do any affiliate advertising but we are going to advertise and make name mentions for the people that we truly love and believe in just because we love and believe them like break free tech and the break free break light or whatever you want to call it which i own i was a i own one i was a backer for so i'm going to end this episode with a little plug for them saying hey Go ahead and check out the Break Free. It's an awesome, awesome little technology. It's a little brake light with a full IMU in it. We're going to try to hook it up so you can get yourself a discount on buying one, but I don't even want to make any money off of using that code if we can. I just want to promote it because it's an awesome thing that I use all the time and every time I ride, and I think you should too. You owe it to yourself. It's It looks cool and it makes you safer. 
Beyond that, we're just going to sign out and say, this is Moji, Pete, and Swiggy. So glad you're back listening to us. We're happy to be back. We're going to be back on a regular drop schedule as much as we possibly can. And with that, we're going to remind you all to stay safe and stay tuned. I think I forgot to say that last time, and that's the most important part. So, are you ready to run the outro, Swigs? Let's do it. And I was not prepared with having the outro music brought up. But here we go. This is what non-edited Nokomoto episodes are all about, guys. Are you sure you want it? I mean, you don't have a choice. Okay. And I don't want to die. Just want to ride on my motorcycle. Cold.